Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Let's go ahead and get in back into Romans chapter 8. Remember the book of Romans is about the fact there's a righteousness that comes from God and that's the only kind of righteousness there is, right? When we trust Christ, He gives us His righteousness. But on our own, there's not a righteousness that comes by works or keeping the Ten Commandments or doing anything else as many people believe today and has always seemed to have believed for some reason or other that we can do something to get into heaven. And so the first three chapters he spends telling us that we all have sinned and come short of the glory. The guy out in the jungle, the moral man, the Jewish man, and then he gets to chapters four. He begins to tell us how we can be saved. Uh, Abraham was saved by faith. David was saved by faith. They took God at his word and they believed and it was accounted as righteousness to them. When we get to chapter 5, he begins a section and he tells us how we can't lose our salvation because we've been justified freely and now we have the peace with God. He gives us all these benefits. Chapter 6, Paul tells us to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God and put away sin but then when he gets to chapter 7 he says I can't do it (laughs) I just can't do it he says the things I want to do I don't do and the things that I don't want to do I do those and who shall deliver me from this body of death and then that's where he starts this great chapter we've been in for quite a while where he starts out in verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus so we for seven chapters there was only one mention of the Holy Spirit and there's about 18 or 20 depending upon who's counting in this one particular chapter and what he's saying is just as you couldn't save yourself that the only way that you're going to continue to live the Christian life and do the things that God wants you to do is through the power of the Holy Spirit and so we've been seeing all of that how that we're free from sin if we live in the Spirit and then we're sons and really this is a great chapter really not only to tell us how we can live through the Holy Spirit but it's a great chapter that tells us about our eternal security and if we truly believed in Christ that there's nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus right so we've been talking about that for quite a while and today we're going to get to verse 28 Because the last couple of weeks we talked about how he redeems our body and we were groaning and the Holy Spirit prays and makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And today we're just going to kind of stick in one verse today. We're going to be in Romans 8, 28, that great verse that, that most people know by heart. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so as we look at this section today, we want to talk about some of these things that are listed in here. And he says, and we know, we know. So this is really teaching quite simply 
that if God has called us according to his purpose, that he must have a purpose and a place for us, and that everything's obviously going to work together for our good and the achievement of that purpose. In other words, God's working it all out, and this is incredible. And it's because of these truths that this is one of the favorite verses in the Bible, and, you know, it's one of the most comforting statements in the Bible also that, no matter what we go through, no matter how difficult life is, no matter how good it is, no matter what goes on, that all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And so every day we kind of wonder about that sometimes as we look around at the evil and we look at all the bad things that happen and you know we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And then we ask the question, why do good things happen to bad people? You know, God says He makes us the the sun shine on the on the on the good and evil. All of us get some of His benefits. That every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above, and He never changes. But you know, when everything's going well and everything's going wonderful, we say, "Well, we know that He's working all things together for good." But then, when things start to go bad, we start to go, "Well." Are they really working together for our good? <laughs> well, let's talk about these things here. So there's four qualifications for this text. Number one, this is for Christians only. He says all things work together to them who love God and are the called according to his purposes. And the good is not our, our idea of good necessarily, but God's idea, and that's to be made like Jesus Christ. And that he uses these things for his supreme end. And that even though they're not necessarily good, and we know this even though we not, may not feel it or see it, sometimes we definitely don't feel like we, we uh, are saying, are you sure, God, this is working together for good? <laughs> and uh, we were talking about some of those things earlier. And he says, and we know, and we know, and Paul is saying, we know, and he's telling us that as Christians, that we know, we know that all things are working together for good. That's, that's a comfort that we know. As we look at the Bible, I've told y'all before, and it's not original with me, but the greatest miracles and it not that God heals us or God does some kind of healing or fixes somebody's life or delivers them from drugs or alcohol or something but the greatest miracle is that he can take the decisions of everybody here his own earth and there's over eight billion people now and he can take all those decisions all those things and he's ultimately taken the good things the bad things all of the decisions that everybody's making whether they're saved or unsaved and ultimately it's all going to turn out just like he said it would in the end of the book I was listening to a preacher yesterday, and he says, "I've heard that a lot of people, when the first thing they do when they get a when they get a new novel or a new book, is the first thing they do is they turn to the back of the book and they read the end of it to see how it turns out. That would just ruin it for me. I would just have to throw it in the trash or or just give it to somebody else if I read the end of it. You know, sort of like little boy that his mom. I think I've told y'all this one before that." Mama was calling him and the hero was in trouble and and uh, he said, hold on a minute, Mama. I'll come to dinner in just a second. And, and uh, he quickly flips to the back of the book and he says, 
he got away. It's going to be okay. And he says, now I can go eat some lunch and feel good about it. You know, and that's the good thing about the Bible is we can turn to the back of the book and we can see that it turns out just exactly like God said it would. And that, that's the miracle that he, you know, the biggest miracles. He can take everything you and I do and everybody that's ever lived, ever will live, and he can turn it into his good. And that's the ultimate thing that is talked about here. All things, that means everything that happens to us. And some people want to limit it, you know, just in the previous section. He said, you know, he talked about that suffering, right? And he talked about that suffering that we were talking about, the sufferings of this present time. And sometimes people say that suffering is talked about here, but it's not limited. So everything works for our good. Suffering works for our good. I know we don't like that. It's unfortunate that... um, through the hard things, as we look back, remember back in Romans 5, and he says, tribulation, work is patience, and patience, character, and character, hope, right? And then remember James, and he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, right? And, and let not, you know, don't try to get out the trial, but say, God, what, you, what do you want me to get out of the trial? And if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And Peter, you know, he says, though you've been grieved for a while by the various trials, that the genuineness of your faith may be proven, and that at the end you may come forth and, and, and the gen, that ultimately you receive the end of your faith, the, the salvation of your souls. And remember Job said, Yea, though he tried me, I will come forth as pure gold, right? All these things. So suffering teaches us to hate sin because we look around at the effects of sin. It also teaches us to see the evil that's in us. Sometimes we suffer because of the things we do or because of the other things that people do. It also tends to drive out sin. I know that a lot of times that God draws us near him as he tries us and he tests us. In that verse, Deuteronomy 8, 2, where he says, See, I have put you in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you, to test you, to see if you would obey me and keep my commandments, to, to know if, if you would love me or not, you know, and keep my commandments. And so God does all these things. It draws us closer to God. I heard somebody say this years ago, If we were as close to God all the time as we were when we went through trouble, we'd be in good shape. But when we we go through trouble, what happens? It tends to draw us closer to God, right? Some people that have never, ever wanted anything to do with God, all of a sudden one day when they have trouble in their life, what happens? All of a sudden they want to know God, right? Or something happens in a family, or something happens to them, and you never know. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what does James say? He says, if you draw near to me, I will do what? Draw near to you. And what is he talking about? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And so suffering is good at... It shows us that we're truly his children. As Hebrews 12, 7 talks about that, remember in Hebrews 12, 5, he begins that whole section and he says, God, those that God loves, he does what? 
chastises, right? And chastisement is not always for sin. Remember, chastisement is also getting rid of the junk in our life, right? That chastisement is just, sometimes it's for sin, but sometimes it's just for, just to draw us closer to Him and to make us more like Him, right? And as you look at that, what does He say at the end of that section? He says that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained thereby. In other words, if you've been allowed God to work in your life through that chastisement, what does he do? He trains you and he brings forth his righteousness, right? He also says that suffering is good because it makes us long for heaven. And uh, I know that's true for a lot of us sometimes that we go, man, you know, just even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? You could come get me today if you wanted to. And I know it's more of an effect a lot of times for y'all but you know sometimes I feel that way too and a lot of days I feel that way but uh, that's one of the prayers I pray every morning you can come today if you wanted to Jesus and just deliver us all from this if your purposes are finished you know I'm ready to I'm ready to go if you're ready to come get us <laughs> just come and get us Lord and so uh, all of these things kind of do that so suffering does that and temptation does the same thing because it sends us to our knees to pray. It drives us to God. It destroys our spiritual pride. And it shows us where we're weak and vulnerable. And part of the usefulness of Peter was he failed so many times that he finally found out that the only way he was going to make it was if he depended on God, right? We think about Paul, too, when he prayed and he said, deliver you know, he prayed three times, but God says, my strength is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Why? Because I depend on the power of Jesus Christ, right? And so sometimes that, that temptation and sometimes the suffering, all of these basically cause the same, pro, same good. They enable us to help others in the same struggles. What is that verse in Thessalonians or that's uh, First Corinthians somewhere? He says that we're able to comfort those with the comfort with which we have been comforted from God. So when God comforts us, we can go in and comfort other people, right? And then he also talks about the fact that it causes us to lean on the strength of Christ, and that that excuse me, that struggling causes us to lean on the strength of Christ and to learn, learn the word of God so that we can defend ourselves. What did David say? How can a young man cleanse his ways? He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? And so then sin also is another thing that, that works together for good. And we say, well, how can sin work together for good? But sin also does the same thing because ultimately God overrules its power and its effect and like I said it does the same thing it teaches us humility brokenness self-distrust it drives us to God makes us long for heaven just like our sufferings and just like temptation does but it also lets you know we see the wonderful grace of God and how his grace is displayed each and every day right when we say that God causes all things to work together we just don't limit it to this life, but we've limited it to eternity. But 
but it applies to all of eternity, right? The ultimate good is the ultimate glory, and that's where the passage ultimately takes us, right? Think about Joseph. Joseph in uh, Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. Remember, that's kind of the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So what happened? He was thrown in a, a hole. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of adultery. He was accused of all the, uh, you know, messing with Potiphar's wife and all these things. It wasn't adultery, but anyway, he, he's accused of all these things. And what happens ultimately? He's second command of Egypt, so what happens? He's able to bring his family into Egypt during the famine, and they, they're saved, and God's purposes are fulfilled. Uh, think about David. You know, he went through so much stuff. And when you look at all the, the great people of the Bible, you'll see that every single one of them for years, they went through a lot of trouble or for a long period of time, they went through a lot of trouble so that God could ultimately make them into the person they made them, right? Joseph, they say somewhere 12 or 14 years, he went through all that before he became second command of Egypt. David, they somewhere, say somewhere between 12 to 19 years. What was God doing? He was stopping him from becoming another Saul, right? He was making him into the man after God's own heart. Even though he was a sinful man, he was still a man after God's own heart. We have to remember in the Old Testament, they didn't have the uh, Holy Spirit like we do, and we still sin in the New Testament. But David didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him all the time as we do today. We think about Job. All the stuff that he went through, and at the end of the story, what happens? God restores his wealth and gave him a new family, and he was confounding the, wisdom, the supposed wisdom of Satan, and he was developing Job's character, right? And Satan said that, that God's people only serve him because of what he gives them, right? Basically, the devil said he's a paid lover. Take his stuff away, and he won't serve you anymore, right? And then Peter, we think about Peter, of course we could mention many others, but Peter is restored. Remember, Jesus said, I prayed for you that when you fall, why didn't he pray that he wouldn't fall? He said, I prayed for when, when you do fall, that you will come back and you will restore the brethren and you'll make them stronger. So he used Peter's fall. He knew he was going to fall. He allowed him to fall so that he could make him into the person he wanted him to be. Like I said, we always beat up Peter, but think about Peter. He was the, when you read uh, Matthew 10, it says Peter first. And when he says Peter first, and then James, John, and Andrew, what does he say? And he's saying Peter is the leader. And everywhere you see those guys' name, they're always named in the same order. And Peter's always named first because Peter is the leader of all of them, right? And when you see the day of Pentecost, who's preaching? Who gets to see 3,000 souls saved? Who's the person that God uses mightily for the first 12 chapters of, of the book of Acts until Paul comes along? It's Peter. And then he pulls Paul in. And I don't know exactly why he replaced him, but... 
you know, he replaces him and he moves him into that place, right? So all things work together for good to those who love him. And Paul identifies the believers, those people who know him as Lord and Savior, as those who love him, right? And everywhere you look in the Old Testament, you see that God shows mercy to those who love him and demonstrate that love by keeping his commandments. Remember, Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament, right? He said, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments, right? So over and over and over again, David said in Psalm 97, 10, Oh, how I love thy law. So loving God is loving his word. And we use this, this passage at, at, at funerals, but it's not really meant for funerals. It's meant for the things that God shows us, his wisdom. But 1 Corinthians 2, 9, he says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And, and yes, I can speak of heaven, but ultimately that passage is about the wisdom that God has. Because remember that whole uh, book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't come in the wisdom. He didn't choose many mighty. He chose the weak things of the world. He didn't say, I didn't come in power and might. And so who is it that loves God? Those that keep his commandments. John 14, 21. One that has a desire to worship God and all that he is. Psalm 18, verse 2 and 3 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Uh, one that has a desire to know the true God is one who loves God, right? Psalm 63, when, when David was in the wilderness, he said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. He says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And then he says that it's also one that has a strong desire to see his name and that his word are not dishonored. Now think about Jesus. Remember back in, he did it two times, but remember back in John chapter 2, and John doesn't record the second time that he does it. But what happens, Jesus goes into the temple and he, and he cleanses the temple and he throws out the money changers and he overturns the tables and he runs all the animals out of the temple. Just think about it as be like this morning. Uh, you know, we were in here this morning and, and in the back there was people taking up money and selling animals and, and there's just animals running around everywhere and they're selling them and that's what was happening in, in the temple, right? And Jesus comes in and he runs all the animals out, makes a, a cord of a whip out of cords and leather straps and he drives them all out and then he takes the doves and he says, take these things, get out of here, stop making my father's house a house of merchandise, right? And, and so those that love God are like Jesus. They, they love what he loves and they have a strong desire to see his name honored and not dishonored. I guess the question is, is when you see people take God's name in vain or when you see people say things against God or do things against God, does it make you mad? <laughs> you know, 
He says, zeal for thy house has, has eaten me up. Literally, that was why they killed Jesus, right? Because he was hitting their pocketbooks. Twice he did that. And that was the ultimate reason why they killed him. And one that has a strong desire to know God's truth. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you love to read God's word? Do you love to hear his word preached? Do you love to, to just know him better through his word? That's one of the things that shows that you truly know God and that you love him. You know, there's another one. There's so many of them, and we were not going to hit all of them, but I just wanted to hit a few of them. One that has a love for fellow believers. Remember over in the book of 1 John, really, if you wanted to look at all the tests of a true believer, you could go over to the book of 1 John, and the book of 1 John, over and over and over again, he tells you all these, these sayings, right? He, he talks about those that love God, obey God, they purify themselves, they love the brethren. That's the one I'm talking about now. That That's in chapter 2, but it's also in chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, loves him who begot, also loves him who was begotten of him. In other words, he says you love the brethren, right? You love his children. We also, those that love him, have a hate for what God hates. 1 John 2.15 talks about it. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world, right? For all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. And the world is passing away, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. And then lastly, of course, we've talked about this one several times, one that is longing for his return. Like I said, that's, one second Timothy four eight and he says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is Paul. He says, Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all, also to all those who have loved his appearing. Are you crying out, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus? And that's one of the things. So those are the people that love God. Like I said, if you want to see a full test of, of the, the things that John gives us, and then at the end of that book he says in 1 John five thirteen, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you pass these tests, if this is the, what, the practice of your life, this is the walk of your life, guess what? You can know you're a believer, right? Because these are the evidences of a true believer, those that love God. And so he says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called. The, the, the called. Who are the called? The whosoever wills, right? Those are the ones who are believers. And the Bible says two sides to that. It says that none comes unless the Father draws him. But it also says that whosoever wants to drink of the water of life, let him come, right? If anybody's thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life. And then he says, they are the called according to his purpose. So think about this, that, that all things in this life, if we're believers, that no matter what happens in life, 
no matter how bad it is, no matter how good it is, no matter what it is, that we can ultimately say that we know that God's still on the throne, that he's still in control, that that nothing, as one man said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God. That that everything that goes on, he knows, right? He's not out there going, oh no, look what happened to Marty. What are we going to do now, Holy Spirit and Father? What are we going to do? He knows everything that's going to happen. He allows it because it ultimately fulfills his purposes. And even the worst things are used to make us like Jesus Christ. Because really, uh, we'll talk about this next time, but he says, according to his purposes, because he says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the ultimate goal of, of being here on earth. Number one is to give God the glory, right? And part of that giving God glory is being what? Conformed to his image. What does that mean? That we are made like Jesus Christ, right? Everything in this life, if we're believers, no matter how good, bad, or ugly it is, it is ultimately meant to drive us closer to God, to make us more like God. And so, like I said, we can drop back to that verse in Romans 8, 18, and remember that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which we'll have in heaven, right? And that uh, ultimately, no matter how bad it gets, that one day that this, this suffering is going to end, that this difficult time is going to end. And if we know Jesus Christ, as the old song says, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus, right? Just think about that. You know, it's hard sometimes in the midst of trouble. It's hard in the midst of trials when we're suffering. Like I said, sometimes we just say, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to stop? Is it ever going to get any better? Well, the good news is, yes, it is, and it's going to be worth it all if we know Jesus. You know, that's the bottom line is if we know Jesus, it's going to be okay. So let's pray and let's close. Father, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. We ask that you just continue to help us to know in the difficult times, the hard times, that you're working all things together for good, that, that you're making us more like you, that tribulation worketh patience and patience character. And character ultimately gives us hope because we see that you got us through the difficult things and you got us through this and you'll get us through the next thing. And so, Lord, we just have that hope because ultimately we know that you're in control and you're on the throne. Help us to remember that, Lord, not to forget that no matter how bad it gets, that you haven't left the throne, that you're still in control, and that all things are working together for good to them that love you and are called according to your purposes. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.